My name is Michael Gleason. I'm a retired professor of sports science with one kid, and I want Peak 60 health. Welcome to Peak 40, the podcast that brings you the tips, tactics, and stories for living your best life in midlife. If you're in your mid-30s to 50s, Peak 40 is the place to get actionable advice on the nuances of nutrition, training, recovery, and mindset in midlife. For the full experience and other valuable resources, register for the Peak 40 weekly newsletter at drbubs.com forward slash peak 40 to enhance your lifestyle and start making midlife your best life. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Peak 40 podcast. I'm your host, Mark Bubbs, and I'm very excited today for my guest, Professor Michael Gleason, retired emeritus professor of exercise biochemistry in the School of Sport, Exercise and Health Sciences at Loughborough University. Professor Gleason has published over 200 research papers in scientific and medical journals, is a fellow of the British Association of Sport and Exercise Sciences, the European College of Sports Science, and past president of the International Society of Exercise and Immunology. Professor Gleason has also published many books, including Eat, Move, Sleep, Repeat, Beating Type 2 Diabetes, and his most recent book on weight loss, the pick-and-mix diet using multiple diet and physical activity strategies to help people lose weight effectively, safely, and healthily without having to stick to just one boring diet for weeks on end. In this episode, Professor Gleason and I are going to discuss COVID-19, immune tolerance, and how you can help to build a more robust immune system via your diet, supplementation, the effects of exercise, as well as maintaining a healthy weight. Prof. Gleason will also share his insights on weight loss. Does HIIT training really improve fat loss? What are the benefits of slow, sustained aerobic exercise? As well as the importance of understanding the principles of weight loss. Lots of great tips and actual insights here from Prof. Gleason. Enjoy the show. Prof, really appreciate you uh, carving out some time today for us. Oh, you're very welcome, Mark. I'm looking forward to speaking with you. Well, listen, for, for anyone who might not be familiar, can you give us a little bit of a whirlwind tour of your background, and then we'll uh, dive into uh, all things immunology here today. Okay, well, I've kind of worked in academia all my life, uh, sort of a permanent student almost, if you like, you know, a BSc, a PhD, and then several postdocs and that before I got a lectureship at Coventry University. My background is really been in diet and metabolism, the impact of exercise and different exercise on on uh, body metabolism and then after hearing a, a lecture by the late Eric Newsholm who was very big into one of the pioneers of exercise immunology he sort of inspired me to sort of move my research into that field and it's always good when you're an academic to get into a new field of work mm. because you're you know you're plowing the, uh, the furrow as it were in that, sure. in that area and there's lots to lots to be found out. So I, I've done about, I guess, about 20 years of research on that particular topic over the years and actually retired from academia, from university life about uh, five years ago. But I'm carrying on doing these sorts of podcasts, recorded lectures, uh, still contributing to some consensus review articles, things like on probiotics and the UEFA expert group on uh, nutrition for elite football or soccer as they call it across the yeah. pond. Yeah. 
obviously, if you mentioned COVID in the last few years is, is where we're focused on and trying to obviously avoid it on the one hand, but it's difficult to avoid. So how well we respond to it and the severity of symptoms. And so with regards to something like immune tolerance, are there certain aspects of one's health, whether it's, you know, weights, metabolic health, these types of things that can impact that immune tolerance and, and push us down, you know, the certain side too heavily? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, and the main, the main things, and again, we've seen this from the COVID infections and the studies that have been done on the people who've had it, the ones who have the biggest problems are those with existing morbidities, you know, that, that, that have uh, type 2 diabetes or coronary heart disease or existing lung problems. Um, those are the ones who fare worst. And often it's also associated simply with being overweight. In other words, having too much and excess of adipose tissue because this generates a, a pro-inflammatory environment in the body. Uh, when your fat cells get too big, they get stretched and they kind of release danger molecules that are signaling that something's going wrong, the tissue's being stretched, it's potentially going to be damaged. Um, but it's just because you're getting too much fat accumulating in, your, in these cells. Uh, when that happens, the, the body treats it like, oh, it's a damaged tissue. So what do you get? You get white blood cells invading into the adipose tissue, they become activated, they produce pro-inflammatory cytokines, and these um, induce a pro-inflammatory state, which means if you get infected with something like COVID, then you're actually already primed for a very strong pro-inflammatory response. Awesome. And essentially, that's when you get this over-responsiveness of the immune system, which can be so damaging. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing when that inflammatory noise gets to be so loud. And as you mentioned, you combine it with this type of infection, novel infection, then it can really cause problems, particularly in people with comorbidities and, and struggling with metabolic health. And obviously, as we've seen, the governments have really, you know, rightfully so on the prevention side, whether it's the distancing, the masks, the travel mandates, etc. You know, the other side of the coin with maintaining a robust immune system seems to be an area that we sort of missed out on really in terms of supporting the public in a sense of how do we help them have a better immune function with their fitness or diet or whatnot. Could you talk a little about, yeah, nutrition or exercise, sleep for the general population or, you know, performance staff, I mean, even athletes, I guess, but, but for that general person of how those things can help to support that, that, you know, robustness of your immune system. Yeah. Um, well, the, on the, on the nutrition side, it's the most important thing really is to avoid any deficiencies in terms of protein that you consume in terms of overall energy intake, which should really match your daily energy expenditure that you're in energy balance and uh, making sure you have all of those essential micronutrients that you need. Yep. Now, in addition to that, which can be obtained from eating a healthy, varied, balanced diet, of course, yep. but, um, you also uh, get a very good, uh, abundant and diverse gut microbiota. And that interacts a lot with the immune system. Like 70% of our immune system is mm -hmm. located in and around the gut, which tells you there's something of importance going on sure. there. Uh, and if you have a healthy gut microbiota, you can also uh, help to support the immune system that way. I mean, one supplement that can perhaps help with that and has been shown to reduce infection risk in athletes, as well as other things like allergies, is uh, a daily in intake of a probiotic supplement. 
essentially live bacteria that you're introducing into the gut, which mingle with your own bacteria. Um, some debate as to whether they actually colonize the gut, probably not to a significant extent, but they act as, act as sort of signals which modify uh, the immune cells in and around the gut, which can then diverge to other areas of the body, including the lungs, you know, mm -hmm. and other mucosal tissues, uh, where these most of our infections come in, either usually through what you've eaten or what you've breathed in. Uh, so that's on the diet side. Yep. And of course, there's the exercise. Well, it's good to do regular exercise because that actually induces an anti-inflammatory environment in the body through the release of things like anti-inflammatory cytokines in terms of uh, interleukin-6 or IL-6, which is actually released not from white blood cells, or it is released from white blood cells, uh, it also released from contracting muscle fibres. Whenever you're doing prolonged exercise, because your glycogen levels go down, your IL-6 production and release from the muscle increases. That induces your white blood cells to produce interleukin-10, which is the, probably the most potent anti-inflammatory cytokine we know of. You know, it burns yeah. fat, it reduces your fat stores, so it's bringing down that adipose tissue mass if you're a little bit overweight. It induces uh, switching from uh, pro-inflammatory to anti-inflammatory phenotypes in the, of the white blood cells, both in the circulation and in the adipose tissue, reduces white blood cell infiltration into adipose tissue, which we just said you know, generates some of these potential Issues. problems. Um, and generally, if you do moderate exercise, you'll increase the numbers of white blood cells in your blood, but you won't actually inhibit their functions because you're not doing the intensities of exercise where you might actually get uh, uh, increased uh, cortisol stress hormone, mm -hmm. epinephrine or adrenaline production, which tend to have negative effects temporarily on, on immune function. And then sleep as well, of course, you know, getting good quality sleep and doing yeah. all the things you can do that to make sure you get a good night's, good night's sleep with very few interruptions. And that's really about creating the ideal environment for sleeping in, in, in your bedroom. There are several yeah. things. Yeah, it's amazing how these days uh, it's one of those simple but not easy in terms of the typical person getting about six and a half hours of sleep or 30%, I believe it is, and getting less than six hours. And so it's yeah, bringing that top of mind, isn't it, to say, okay, I'm going to need to start planning my sleep routine a little bit better to try to get to that minimum seven hours. You know, that the yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of the average. Uh, yeah. But, you know, we have to appreciate everybody's a little bit different in terms of their habits. You know, some people are night owls, some are like early birds, yeah. aren't they? You know, yeah. depending on how, you, how you're made up. But, um, you know, and there are genetic differences as well. And some people can get by quite well on relatively few hours of sleep compared, compared to others probably some evidence out there as well that also says you probably shouldn't sleep for too long either you know sure i mean would you say <laughs> so, that seven hours so minimum the the... medium between seven seven and eight hours is probably about say. the ideal for on average you know yeah. but it, in a sense it depends what your normal routine for sure. is you know if you normally get by on six hours quite happily then six and, no and a half would feel great <laughs> that's right for you but don't yeah. go below that yeah uh, yeah, and just circling back to the exercise, obviously we see the benefits on the fitness side of things, and of course you've alluded to there, like on the on the muscular side of things, you know, the, the myokines, and of course with the fat cells, the adipokines. I mean, these are these are really sending powerful signals to the immune system, correct? Yes, yes, indeed. I mean, I think most 
most of what's referred to as adipokines are yeah, the, the cytokines that are coming out of adipose tissue. Mm -hmm. They're probably mostly not coming actually from the fat cells themselves, yeah. they're actually coming from those white blood cells that have infiltrated yeah. those uh, expanding uh, 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 fat, fat, fat stores. Yeah, and if we keep talking about how to support people's health, you know, if we mentioned some weight loss, better metabolic health, these are really crucial things for supporting immunity so people can perform their best at work and at home. You know, you talk a little bit about HIIT training in terms of losing body fat might not be necessarily the best solution for, for getting leaner. Could you uh, expand on that a little bit for us? Yeah, yeah. I, a couple of years ago, I read a couple of what we might call celebrity doctors or medics, mm -hmm. you know, people you see on the TV and hear on the radio and that kind of thing. Probably not yourself, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully not. Uh, but yeah, I, I read a couple of books and, and they seem to be promoting the idea that doing this uh, high intensity interval training or HIT um, was uh, even better than moderate exercise for, um, for weight loss, you know, for, yeah. for body fat loss. Yeah. Uh, but if you look at it logically, it, it's complete nonsense because if you're doing a hit session, you know, the rec one book just recommended just doing five minutes a day to get this uh, weight loss effect. Yeah. Most people might do about 15 minutes of hit as a daily session, you know, and that might be usually something like six 30 seconds bouts of pretty much all out exercise with two minutes recovery in between. Yeah. Bouts. So in that 15 minutes of hit that you're doing, you're only doing actually three minutes of very high intensity exercise. Mm -hmm. you work out how many calories you burn doing that. It's about 100 kilocalories. Mm -hmm. You might burn another 100 due to the post-exercise elevation of resting metabolic rate, which could keep going for a number of hours. But even if it was increased by 10% for 12 hours after you did your exercise bout, which probably isn't actually, uh, but that would only be another 100 calories. So doing that 15 minutes a day is only going to burn 200 calories most of that will actually be from carbohydrate because the exercise is so intense and some of it will be anaerobic metabolism of your glycogen stores um you're not burning fat yeah you're still burning calories so at the end of the day when you tot up your calories yeah you've still got that energy deficit of 200 but it's not a lot i mean you can do that with just a, a two mile brisk walk or jog you know? Yeah, it's amazing how so by far the best way of burning calories is to expend more energy. And you only do that by doing prolonged, moderate intensity exercise that you can sustain literally for an hour or more. You know, yeah. then you're getting into the realms of burning, say, 500 calories an hour or something like that. And, uh, you know, that, that's the thing that's going to make an impact on burning your fat. And if you're doing low to moderate intensity exercise, like brisk walking, jogging, cycling but not, you know, not too fast then you are going to be burning mostly fat rather than carbohydrates so you're directly burning those fat stores you want to get rid of yeah it's such an interesting point because i know that even in the you know dr martin cabala's lab they're just pushing the participants enough to achieve that real high intensity as they got fitter is, is a challenge as well to just actually really be hitting some of those top ends and as you mentioned time-wise i mean we really need to start to not not be forgetting about just building out an aerobic base and then actually getting enough movement in. And uh, it's, it is interesting that just the, the amount of movement that we get in a day is sort of a better predictor of maintaining a weight than 
than that, you know, half an hour in the gym, if you will. Uh, did you have any, uh, you know, suggestions or around oh, yeah. building an aerobic base or in terms of frequency or timing? Yeah, I mean, the, the hit thing. I'm not, I'm not saying hit is bad for everything. No, 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 it's for sure, for sure. Very, it's actually a very good way of getting some of the health benefits. Yeah, time efficient. With, with that, yep. Doing it time efficiently if you push for time. Yeah, uh, but I'm just saying it's not very good for weight loss, mm -hmm. but for burning fat. You know, that, that, that's the only proviso I'm putting in there. As opposed for, like, say, for doing regular exercise for for health, I think we should really be doing a mixture of different modes because you get benefits from doing some resistance exercise to help maintain your muscle mass, which, of course, declines as we get older. You know, I'm 65 years old and, you know, you start losing muscle from about the age of 30 to 40 onwards, gradually, I know, yeah. <laughs> unless you keep up with some resistance exercise. Yeah. If you do that, you can help to maintain your muscle mass. That in turn helps to maintain your resting metabolic rate because lean tissue is more metabolically active than your, your fat tissue, you know, and that helps to keep the weight off as well. And if you want to diet and lose weight by reducing your calorie intake through eating and drinking less, then doing some exercise will help prevent that resting metabolic rate from falling, which it, it, it will otherwise it'll drop by probably 10 to 15% within a matter of weeks. There's an energy conservation yeah. uh, response. Um, but if you do the exercise, um, then uh, that, that helps to offset that effect. So it makes your weight loss actually easier. Yeah, and you Plus know, you're burning those extra calories. Of <laughs> there you go. You're right. Adding to your diet. Yeah. I was supporting clients, and we're always trying to teach them the, the principles of how the various diets work, rather than just having to select a, a singular diet. And you know, understandably, for a lot of people, it's it's let's say easier to start with to have a certain diet because it's got a strict set of rules and it's sort of a path to follow. Mm -hmm. But what we tend to find eventually is it doesn't matter what diet people pick, they're going to end up with roadblocks. And if they don't understand some of the principles or, or, or the different tools at their disposal, then they don't know how to overcome the roadblocks. They don't have the tools. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, you've written a book all around the different, having sort of the best of all the worlds really, or understanding these, these tools so that we can apply the, the right ones to help us lose weight in the long term. Um, yeah. Um... Yeah, you, you, you're right. I mean, often people uh, go with just one diet because that's, you know, it's, uh, they, they pick a certain book or a certain article they've read in the media or in social media or whatever, that, you know, that promotes a particular diet. Usually there's just a, a book is usually just about one, one diet and it tells yeah. you all the, the pros of that maybe not always telling you what some of the cons are maybe. Uh, but the problem with all, single diets is you, you you're usually restricted in eating certain foods to some degree all of the time and it means you're then constrained to eating a certain number of different types of foods and you're excluding others and then people start to get cravings for those things that they would normally include in their normal diet that they have to restrict on these you know more specialized di diets whether you're talking about sort of a a low carb keto diet or at the other end of the spectrum sort of a virtually zero fat diet and getting most of your energy from carb you know you've got those two extremes mm -hmm. and at the end of the day when you look at all the literature out there that's been done on the effectiveness of different diets they're really really not very different in terms of their efficacy for weight loss 
if you match them for the actual amount of calories that are being cut out from the normal diet. Mm -hmm. So if you have a 500 calorie a day deficit on a keto diet, you'll lose pretty much as much weight and as much body fat in the long run, you know, over, over sort of several weeks and months as you would if you had a high carb, low, uh, very low fat diet with the same uh, daily energy deficit. So what I say is don't, uh, well, generally avoid the extreme diet. You don't need these extremes of macronutrient composition. You don't need to get keto to lose mm. weight, if you see what I mean. So sure. You don't need to cut out all the fat from your diet to lose weight either. And that wouldn't be a healthy thing to do, actually, because we actually do have some essential fats, you know. That's soluble um, vitamins, right? Yeah, linoleic acid, linolenic acid, etc. Those two are essential. Uh, you get your fat-soluble vitamins, your A, D, E, and K with intake of fat. You know, so we don't recommend ever cutting down your fat to less than about 10% of your total energy intake. You need a certain minimum there for, for, for health. Uh, so a sensible thing to do, I think, you know, it's just probably, probably about out there, there's probably 10 to 15 diets that have had plenty of work done on them, mm. including the keto, but also including low fat and other ones like uh, high protein, high fiber, volumetric diet, that kind of thing. Then you've got intermittent fasting diets. You've got time-restricted eating. Yeah. You know, there's loads of different ones, probably about 10, which are pretty much equally effective and proven to be effective. So my idea was just, well, why don't you just switch your diet every week? Now, it might sound complicated. Oh, that means I've got to switch all the rules every week. Mm -hmm. But if you actually know what you're doing for each of these diets, and that's why I kind of wrote that book, The Pick and Mix Diet, which yeah. is that, um, you know, all, all the meal recipes and amounts that you need are, are, are provided so you can actually achieve your weight loss through just following those sorts of different uh, recipes and just do it for one week and then you switch back to a different diet you can do it in pretty much any order you want mm -hmm. if you're getting a bit of cravings for carbs on because you've started off on your keto diet as the first one or a or at least a reduced fat sorry reduced carb diet you could you could go to a the, the other opposite of the spectrum you know and go for a, a high carb low fat diet and then maybe go on a high protein diet or go on a flexitarian diet some of the established diets we have that people eat around the world, like in Japan and around the, the original diets that they ate in the poor Mediterranean countries are very healthy diets. And because you're not used to them, you tend to eat less anyway of them and you, uh, you, you lose weight that way as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a couple of things come to mind there. I mean, you mentioned, yeah, once we match for protein and calories, then it really doesn't matter which diet we're picking. We've, we've got to you know, get into that caloric deficit. And so it is great to have all these different tools, like you mentioned, and even for people when you talk about them, just going through the process, right? They might go through, as you mentioned, the different diets and the pick and mix, like a low fat diet, knowing that they, Hey, maybe I don't want to follow this forever, but they tend to pick out a few skills within that week or recipes or things that they enjoy that then end up really helping them down the road with, you know, whatever pattern that they do prefer. So I really, yeah, I definitely think that's a great, uh, process for people to go yeah. through and if you if you sort of measure your body mass just you know once mm -hmm. a week you know at the start and end of that week you've been on a particular diet you also get an idea of which ones of those diets will actually work best for you 
yeah. and also which ones sort of gives you the sort of combination of foods that you enjoy the most. So at the end of the day, if you were to do dieting, you might do that for say 10 weeks, in which case you could lose about maybe 10 kilos using this kind of approach, mm -hmm. particularly if you couple it with doing some exercise right. to add in there yep. and you know burn some calories as well as taking in less in, in, in what you eat. Combining the two is always better and it's always more effective than either dieting or exercising alone to achieve your weight loss goals. 100%. If you burn calories with the exercise, say 500 calories a day by doing an hour of aerobics or something a day, and you cut out your cut down your calorie intake by 500 calories, there's your 1000 calorie a day deficit, which will ensure you lose weight you know, reasonably quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And, and doc, if we, uh, if we circle back to, uh, on the immune front, you know, again, the last year with COVID, it's sort of been like the red wine and Netflix at night. Everyone's staying up a bit later, especially when lockdown was on. And, you know, we've talked about the sleep impacts on immunity, but what about things like alcohol intake or in the evening, you know, ultra processed food intake is really ramping up when we look at some of the research on late eating. And so, Snacking on sugars, drinking alcohol late in the evening. How are these things going to be impacting immune function? Yeah, not good and not <laughs> your overall health either. Yeah. We know that um, particularly binge drinking, you know, where you have a, re a real good, well, maybe a good night, but it's not a real <laughs> good night, but you're, yeah. you've done it through drinking a lot of alcohol, you know, mm -hmm. that we know has a negative impact, impact on your uh, immune function. Um, you know, and there's a lot of calories, you know, a lot of hidden calories in these drinks, particularly things like red wine, for example, mm -hmm. you get through one bottle of red wine, you've essentially taken on 600 calories of useless calories yeah. in terms of how, what you can use it doesn't for. store as glycogen, does it? <laughs> just get converted to fat, you know, uh, most of it. So, um, and you can't use it as a fuel for exercise. You can't kind of directly burn it off in, in itself, um, you know, and it does impair other things like your, you know, your cognitive function, the way you... REM sleep you, and all you, that. You, you behave and everything, you know, so mm. you're, you upset your partner and your neighbours and <laughs> everybody <laughs> yeah, else along, sure. along with the impact. You do you get a few polyphenols, but... <laughs> yeah, well, you get some polyphenols, but you, in that case, you want your yeah. polyphenols. Then Small you doses. Non-alcoholic versions of True. beer or, uh, or, or wine. Not quite the same taste, I know, but uh, a lot better for you health-wise. Yeah. Uh, 100%. Well, listen, Prof, I could uh, I could pick your brain all, all day here, but I do appreciate uh, your time. You know, obviously tremendous. You do a football nutrition book uh, coming out. You know, you've had a big impact on us at Canada Basketball in terms of supporting our our players and teams with, with their immune function over some cold, harsh Canadian winters and lots of travel. Um, you know, where can people stay connected with, uh, with yourself and then pick up some of the new books and past books as well? Oh, well, I'm, I'm re reasonably active uh, on, on Twitter. So people can find me, find me there. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn, which is sort of a more uh, sort of professional, the corporate side, like, yep. uh, sort of social media type of uh, uh, platform. Those are the two ones that I I, I, I normally use uh, the most. Uh, my email address is a secret. Anybody can find that on the Loughborough University uh, website if they want to directly contact me, or they can direct message me on. Uh, on, on Twitter, for example, or, or on LinkedIn, if you happen to be on that. Terrific. Listen, I appreciate it again, Prof.
Thank you for listening to the Peak 40 Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. It's a very big help to the show. Got a question? Follow at Dr. Bubs on Instagram and send me a note in the comments section or hit reply to our weekly Peak 40 newsletter. Looking to lose weight and improve your health in the new year? Our next Peak 40 Nutrition Coaching Group kicks off January 10th, 2022. If you'd like to learn more and get some free tips along the way, you can register for the pre-sale Peak 40 Nutrition Coaching List at drbubs.com forward slash peak 40. Scroll down and sign up. Fantastic. Have a great week, everyone. See you next time. The Dr. Bubs Performance Podcast endeavors to provide accurate and helpful information to listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional.